So uh, as you see on the front of your bulletin, we have an outline of where we've been, where we are today, and where we're going with the sermon series. And so we've been in the Holy Spirit, uh, in creation with the Holy Spirit, and the Old Testament with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit in Jesus. And now we get to the Holy Spirit igniting the church. And we're talking about this in a specific context in Acts chapter 2. Now there's a sermon illustration I always like to use that I haven't used here yet. I haven't checked the record, but I think I have not other than first service today. But how many of you own either a dog or a cat? How many of you have met a dog or a cat? And then there's still the people that won't raise their hand if I had a $100 bill up here. Um, so for the 99% of us who have met a dog or cat, every once in a while, uh, there's something going on outside like a bird landing on the windowsill that I think, my cat would really like to see this. And so I point it out to him. I'm like, Alfred, you know, look at, look right there. And what does he do? Does anybody know? Sniffs my finger. Like the thing that's pointing, he's like, which I know this is like a really dignified way to open a sermon. It's like my sniffing. And it's, uh, you know, some dogs are a little better at it, but I live with the Great Dane. He's a 140-pound dog breeded for hunting, and he would just come over and lick my finger when I'm like pointing out a squirrel. So... The, the thing, the, illust- the thing I'm illustrating here is that sometimes you get so distracted by the thing pointing to the thing that you missed the thing. And sometimes the spectacle, you know, the motion of my finger pointing is more distracting and, and you get so caught up in that that you don't look at what it's pointing to. So as we read this passage this morning, there is some wild stuff happening. Uh, but what we want to get to is what uh, not just how the Spirit ignites the church, which we're going to see in the passage, but what for? Why does the Spirit ignite the church? And that's the question that this passage you know, also answers, but uh, can be missed. So uh, I'm going to open us in prayer, and in that time, if you want to, you can flip to Acts chapter 2. I shortened the reading a little bit, but it's still going to be the bulk of chapter 2. It will be on your screens in a slightly different translation than what's in front of you, but I don't think you'll be too thrown off. Join me in prayer. Father God... We thank you for your word today. Uh, We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to the church. And we um, pray now that your Holy Spirit would stir in us um, uh, a new new eyes to see your text, to open your word, um, that you would just shape our hearts and minds by your word, and that we would go forth as changed people. We ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 2. It's going to be 1 to 24, and then we're going to skip down to 36. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, they being the disciples. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of this multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, 
and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these, men, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men see visions, and your old men dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him by the hand of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Continuing in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and believe and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort him, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized And there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. So you see what I'm saying with the spectacle factor? There's tongues of fire coming down, people speaking in other languages. But that's not necessarily the point of the passage. We have to get to uh, why those things are happening. What is happening here that's so significant? Could we turn this light down just a hair? Uh, uh, Sorry. Uh, And... um, there are two things I want to point out, you're good, uh, that just stick out of the text, but there are three things I want to say, three ways that the Holy Spirit ignites the church. Uh, and before we do that, I just want to point out a couple things about the text. It's a long passage that we just read. Thank you for bearing with me, by the way. Uh, but something that will confuse some people is the very first sentence, when the day of Pentecost arrived, and you're like, wait, I thought this was Pentecost, this event. And it's actually an Old Testament tradition. Pentecost happened every single year. Um, and you can read about it if you're so interested in Leviticus 23.15 or Deuteronomy 19 or 16.9. Uh, but essentially, it's just what happens 50 days. Pentecost means 50. 
50 days after the wave offering of the Passover, also known as the Feast of Weeks. This is, it's not just fun trivia, but that is just to say, if you read this and you say, wait, how did he know it was the day of Pentecost before Pentecost happened? But what we celebrate as Christians on Pentecost is this event. And the other thing you'll notice is um, lots of familiar Old Testament imagery, not just a long quotation from Joel 2 and from the Psalms uh, and another passage uh, that we um, cut out of our reading. Uh, but if you read Acts 2, you see Peter quoting from the Old Testament, but there's also imagery from the Old Testament happening. Now, uh, if you think back to the Old Testament and you think of uh, pillar of fire, what comes to mind? Moses. Um, so what we see here is this pillar of fire, these tongues of fire coming down on God's people. Now in the Old Testament, in Exodus 13, the pillars of fire came down at night to lead the people of Israel through the wilderness so that they could travel by night and still see where they're going. So in Exodus, the pillars of fire are taking the people of God to their homeland. But in Acts chapter 2, the tongues of fire are pushing people of God out of their homeland and into the nations. So he gave them this homeland, but he says, you know, you're to be a light to the nations from, from the very beginning. And now that is happening. So this is the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture, but it's also the beginning of the church. So those are just two, two images I want to point out, and there's a couple more that we'll highlight along the way. But there are three three ways, uh, there are more than that, but there are three ways that we're going to talk about this morning that the Spirit ignites the church. And the first is that the Spirit ignites the church through the proclamation of the gospel with gifts. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. Um, so if you're a note taker, I'll give you the three now. That's the first one, uh, that the Holy Spirit ignites with gifts. The second is that the Holy Spirit ignites the gospel in all human cultures. And the third is that the Holy Spirit ignites with courage and boldness. But we're going to talk first about the first one. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, ignites the church with gifts. And in this passage, now we have a whole other week talking about gifts. So we'll get to that if you want to talk about all the gifts. But the gift we're talking about this week is the gift of tongues and specifically the gift of speaking other known languages. So these are the apostles and, and the Christians, early Christians gathered together and they're all from Galilee and they leave this upper room and they all start speaking in languages that they've never learned. And the languages they're speaking just happen to be the languages of the audience who's all gathered here. This is the center of the city. It's where people do trading and commerce and everyone's there from all these different countries and they all speak different languages and they look and say, wait, aren't all those people from right here? Why would they be speaking our language? Um, and, uh, and so what we see here is a miracle, a, a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And when you think about it, this really does ignite the, the church on its mission, not just for this passage, but actually for the rest of the book of Acts, the gospel is traveling outward in, in right before Jesus ascends in Acts one eight, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they are, Judea and Samaria, which is where the next few chapters are, and to the remotest parts of the earth, which is where the book ends. Uh, but it doesn't just end there because the remotest parts of the earth are actually gathered in Jerusalem, and the gospel is preached to them in their own language, and then they get to take that back home with them. And so we see this exponential multiplying of the church 
through this gift of tongues. And in fact, there's actually a modern day challenge. There's a modern day continuation of this. Because, I don't know if you know this, but I, uh, I didn't know this, so I'm not going to pretend like I knew it. I looked it up. But there are um, an estimated 1.5 billion people in our world today that do not have the Bible translated into their primary language. 1.5 billion. Now, when you think, last time I went to Lifeway, there's like 33 English translations that we all get to choose from. So not only do we not have to struggle to hear the Bible in our own language, we actually get to pick our own variation of our own language to hear it in, while 1.5 billion people do not have it in their primary language. And there are currently in the world 6,909 living languages. That means someone still speaks it as their primary language. Only 670 languages in the world today have the entire Bible translated into their language. It's less than 10%. However, there are 3,312 who have at least some part of it. They have the Gospels, they have a Gospel, they have an Epistle or the Old Testament, something like that. So there's work still being done, but there are... Uh, so I got this information from the Wycliffe Bible Translation uh, website, and they're a nonprofit ministry that translates the Bible into language that do not yet have the Bible. Very, very noble uh, effort and really a continuation of what Acts chapter 2... Now, in Acts chapter 2, is a little easier, right? The Holy Spirit just drops down. You start speaking a language you don't know. Um, and, and, you know, you'll hear stories and things like that, even now of the Spirit doing miraculous works, but the work of the church is still to take the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Emphasis on the tongue there. And so once again, when we're looking at passages that have to do with the Holy Spirit, one of the themes that's really tied this sermon series together is this notion of the breath of God. The breath of God being the living force behind human beings, behind all creation that moves the wind. You know, pneuma is the wind, breath, spirit. And here we see it again. We see that um, even every utterance that we breathe, uh, that we say, everything that comes out of our mouths is you know, pushed out through air, through breathing, even speaking. And so this gift of speaking is consistent with the work of the Holy Spirit. And just to give you a preview of what's what's to come a little bit, and many of you may know this in Second Timothy three sixteen, it says all Scripture is breathed out by God. And what's that make? Which which member of the Trinity does that make you think of? Would you say all Scripture is breathed out by God? You can say it, yeah, Holy Spirit. Um, and so this is a this is something I think many of us haven't considered is that. When we read the Bible, when we hold the Bible, we are interacting with the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit who wrote it, and it's the same Holy Spirit who dwells and lives in the heart of every Christian. So once, you know, once that relationship with Jesus begins, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit, and uh, the whole, the same Spirit who wrote this is the Spirit living in you, which is why we, uh, we pray to God before we read the Scripture. Um, and hopefully after. But th- it's just an interesting thought, and I'm, this, I'm not going to go too far in this direction, but I just want to say how many times in, in church ministry and youth ministry and other times I've had someone come up to me like this, standing like this, and say, I just, I can't hear what God is saying to me. You know, God isn't speaking to me. And I'm like, well, look in your left hand there. You know, you've got a whole 1,500 pages of God speaking 
so God has spoken and God continues to speak. And the Holy Spirit is the breath of God who breathes out scripture. So that's just, that's just a sidebar. Uh, so the Holy Spirit, uh, ignites the church with, in the, with, uh, with gifts. The second thing we want to look at is that the Holy Spirit ignites in all human cultures. You notice here, uh, this is where I was gonna, if I was a prankster, I would have just pulled someone out of the atrium and said, hey, why don't you do the scripture reading today? Um, cause there are a lot of words in there. Um, geograph- geographical terms that I think kind of scare some of us off, uh, when we read the Bible. It's Parthians and Medes and Elamites and, uh, Mesopotamia and G- uh, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and all of these places. And what's the point of that? Well, if you have a study Bible and you want a little homework, which I don't realize, I realize most of you don't want homework, but if you do, just go circle all of these cities on a map, all of these places that are being mentioned, because what's being illustrated here is what was told in Acts chapter 1, and that it's uh, all of these places, north, east, south, and west of Jerusalem, are the places that are gathered there, that are hearing it in their own tongues, and guess where they're going to take it back in their own tongue. And so here's another uh, Old Testament Reference, and this is actually the reversal of something you see in the Old Testament. For those of you who are familiar with Genesis 11, and if you're not, don't worry about it. We'll move on fast enough. But in Genesis 11, there's the Tower of Babel. The people uh, are trying to build this tower to, for their own glory, to new heights, and God separates them by giving them each a different language, and they they can no longer communicate. So in 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 Genesis 11. People are divided by separate languages, but in Acts chapter 2, all people are united despite their different languages. The gospel is going out in all of these languages. He's speaking in these different tongues, different languages that they don't know. The language is no longer a barrier to God's good news. So in Acts chapter 2, people are united despite language. And like I said, if you pull out a map, you'll see that it was... Uh, what's considered the remotest parts of the earth. It's a, not a short journey from the ancient Near East, to, from, from the Near East to Asia uh, in those days, uh, but it even lists uh, Asia among the, uh, the recipients here. But here's the important point for us, especially us as College Hill Presbyterian, as we strive and struggle and wrestle with what it means to be a multi-ethnic church. This is the important point here is God does not pick one human culture, language, or set of traditions and say, this is the holy one. This is the holy language. This is the holy culture. This is the holy set of traditions. So everybody who wants to be a Christian has to come in and conform to this language, this way of doing things. It's actually the complete opposite of that. Instead, the gospel message is taken from people uh, in every nation in their own language. And so that's... Important for us because that shows us how God does ministry. And how God does ministry should teach us about something about how we should be doing ministry. If you want to be holy like God is holy, like he commands, we should be doing ministry the way, you know, in the spirit in which, obviously we can't do all the things God can do, but in the spirit, God does things. And so here we see him breaking down human-made boundaries and cultural lines and language and socioeconomic status and region of the world and cultural background. None of those things matter. The gospel can go any one of those. Gospel is very transportable. It has very few cultural requirements, but it has very deep requirements. 
And so the gospel is made for export. And so what we should take from this, though, is that we should not create unnecessary barriers based on culture because God himself doesn't do this. God is the one breaking down the barriers that we've created. So if we want to do ministry well, we need to stop putting these fences around the church to, you know, to say, well, if you want to come to the, you know, our church or this church, you need to learn to speak this way. You need to understand this language. You need to, you know, use this translation, yada, 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 all of the different things. And God is saying, no, this is, you know, this is made to go to the nations, to everyone, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And the, the people of God are in the business of breaking down those barriers, not building them. Or that, I should say, we ought to be in the business of breaking down those barriers. But I think all of us have experienced uh, both the glorious breaking down of barriers, but we've also seen barriers in our sinfulness, which is why we need the Holy Spirit to ignite our church. And the final point is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, ignites um, the proclamation of the gospel by giving courage and boldness. Now, this is like, those are also gifts, but those are more like Wizard of Oz type gifts, right? Courage and boldness. He's like the lion. And what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is if you were here on Good Friday, we read the account of the passion from John chapter 18 and 19. <coughs> Excuse me. And I just want to call attention to John 18 here, 15 to 18. It'll be on the screens. And it says, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers made it a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now, there's a couple things here. If you are here last summer, we did a lot of I am statements from Jesus. And you see here, in the Gospel of John, Peter gets the I am not statement. Yeah, you get it. That's not where you want to be. Uh, when Jesus is saying I am, I am, I am, you don't want to be the one saying I am not one of his followers. Uh, but that's what happens. So, and this would be confusing. If you're reading the Bible, trying to imagine reading the Bible for the first time, seeing this character, Peter, and this is pretty close to the end of the book, and then you open very early in the book of Acts chapter 2, you have Peter who, to a little servant girl, denies that he knows Jesus. And the same Peter is here on Acts chapter 2, preaching to 3,000 people. He opens them by cracking a joke. He's, you know, having a good time evangelizing people, and 3,000 people come to faith. By the way, did you guys catch the joke? I didn't hear a lot of laughing. Uh, it's in Acts chapter 2. Uh, they come out, and they're speaking in different languages. In verse 13, it says, But others mocked, said they're filled with new wine. What is he saying? They're saying, uh, well, the reason they're babbling like this is because they're drunk. And Peter begins the 2,000-year-old tradition of opening a sermon with a joke. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them and said, uh, These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's only 9 a.m. That's Peter. Peter says, Look, they can't be drunk. It's only 9 a.m. They would have had to get to work really early to be drunk by now. And that's not what's happening. 
Um, so Peter opens with a joke, and it's like, how is this the same guy who would not tell a little servant go around a campfire that he followed Jesus right at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry? The only variable, the only change is the Holy Spirit. It's not, you know, it's not Peter being just an amazing speaker, uh, being really clever, really witty. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit has empowered him for boldness. It's ignited his preaching. It's ignited his evangelism. And it's the Holy Spirit working. And uh, the funny thing is, if you the book is called Acts of the Apostles. But if you follow the book, it kind of follows Peter for 12 chapters or so. It's kind of the Acts of Peter. And then for 13 to 28, kind of the Acts of Paul. It's actually the only common thread is the acts of the Holy Spirit in the early church. That's actually the main character of the book of Acts. And so what we see here is that in the gospel of John, Peter is allowing himself to be defined by what other people think of him. He's also being defined by the consequences of his belief. But in Acts chapter 2, here he is preaching. In Acts chapter 4, he's beaten for preaching and walks away celebrating and going door to door after being beaten for his preaching. And in uh, a few chapters later, he's thrown in prison. He starts singing hymns. So part of what the Holy Spirit does, you know, this change that occurs in him is that the Holy Spirit, he seals us securely in our relationship with Jesus. And in this unshakable sense of being a child of God, being redeemed by God, the Holy Spirit is the living seal, the living connection and tether to God the Father and the work of Jesus Christ. So we no longer struggle to find an identity uh, because our identity is secured by the work of Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps this is why, and I haven't read this book, so I always give a disclaimer when I've just read the title, but this is the title of a book that's always caught my attention. It's by J.D. Greer, and the tagline of the book, this book is called Jesus Continued, The tagline is this, the Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. The Holy Spirit inside of you is better than having Jesus right beside you. Now, you can think on that all you want. You can go read his book. I'm not making any money off of it. But but I think that's at least true in the case of Peter, right? In in, In Jesus' ministry... He has Peter right beside him, and Peter is the one, like, we're always learning what not to do from Peter. And he's a great illustration of that in many ways. And as soon as Jesus leaves, he gets the Holy Spirit, and, oh, everything clicks. Everything makes sense. The gifting is there. The calling is there. The uh, decisiveness is there. And he stands firm in his conviction, firm in his identity in Jesus. And nothing can shake him, not even a gruesome, torturous death. And so the Spirit, and this is, this is what I want to get at today, if you only get one thing out of this, what the Spirit's pointing to in this, what the tongues of fire, the other languages, this Holy Spirit ignites the church for the sake of proclaiming the gospel. That's it. We preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit has empowered that, and he can use whatever means he wants to to do that. Sometimes it's using gifts, sometimes it's using people, um, and sometimes it's by the power of uh, his written word. Uh, and many times it's a combination of those things. But the Spirit gives gifts. But just like any other gift from God, we are not to pursue the gifts over the giver of the gifts. 
We don't want the Holy Spirit for what gifts or powers we think we can get from. We want the Holy Spirit because He's because He's God, because He He ties us securely in our in a relationship with Jesus and God the Father. The Spirit also pushes us beyond uh, and the gospel beyond human cultural boundaries. We're not to create these kind of barriers, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and only by the power of the Holy Spirit, can we as a church and as Christians break down those barriers that stand in the way of gospel advancement. And finally, the Spirit empowers believers with courage and boldness for the sake of the gospel, which we saw in Peter, and we could hear countless other testimonies of people who have experienced the same. And so the question is, do you see how all of the work of the Spirit is it's not separate from what Jesus is doing. It's not separate from the plan of God the Father. It's all moving as one unit. It's the Spirit is proclaiming the work of Jesus according to the Father's plan. That's almost word for word out of uh, Peter's sermon here in Acts 2. And so it's the work of Jesus. It's the Father's plan for redemption. And it's the Spirit who's activating it in people. And it's, and it's enabling people to hear it and bringing them to the good news of the gospel. And so the good news of the gospel is that God is redeeming in all his glory, redeeming his creation, and each member of the Trinity calls and points us back to that message. Would you please join me in prayer?